To be fair, that would be a grotesque tattoo. I mean, it would be a creature even the ancient Egyptians wouldn't come up with. It's Friday, October the 16th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Cancel Culture Crusader, and with me today are my fellow Dutch News Contributing Editor and Reality TV Correspondent, Molly Quell, and Pal Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and French Splainer. This is a much nicer job title than I was expecting, frankly. There, was, <laughs> uh, there were so many the, other things you could have gone There are a lot of things nice. we could have got into and we uh, yeah, we very diplomatically avoided, so be yeah. grateful for that. We were um, just tired of talking about your grotesque tattoo, Molly. Yes. Everybody's yeah. kind of tired of it, I think. I mean, I'm also tired of it, but I'm, I have to live with it for the rest of my life. Yeah, and you kind of chose to have it. It wasn't like it was I forced I on did. you. Or, I did choose yeah. to, to do this. It wasn't, it wasn't like you went to a test chart and they <laughs> and they made you have one, you know, to, as a safety measure. It was measure. interrupted. The tattoo process was interrupted by the hand hopping in a hilarious and really? ridiculous Really? Oh, oh, oh yeah. tell us about that. Yeah. So when I went in, um, clearly I... Th- I mean, I obviously don't know all of the backstory, but the impression that I got is this is not the first time that the hand hopping has stopped by this particular tattoo shop, which is quite like sort of well regulated and very clean and like they're not, it's quite expensive. So it's not like a sort of, yeah, place, you know, in the red light district where drunk people get their boyfriend's tattoos named on their cleavage or whatever. (laughs) And... At some point, the Handhaven came in and started complaining that the tattoo shop was not adhering to the proper corona measures. Um, and in particular, was claiming that there was too many people in the building um, for what they, for the space that they had. Um, but uh, the guy, the sort of owner guy, was doing a tattoo like while this was going on and clearly had been dealing with these guys before and got really annoyed and was sort of just like yelling at him like, no, we were fine until you guys came in you have to go back outside. <laughs> and eventually the hop having backed down and like stood back outside on the street where they well, then could. eventually like left. I mean, the tattoo shop was doing, I think, I mean, I don't know what the particular rules are exactly. I mean, like, you know, Corona rules change every eight seconds, but yeah, like doing the masks and everything was clean and whatever. But yeah, it was quite funny. The guy was just like totally ignoring, sort of like refusing to engage with these guys because clearly he'd been dealing with them before. It was just sort of yeah. like, yeah. actually we were fine. You all yeah. need to go back outside. Yeah, so. good stuff. Yeah, yep. good on him for yeah standing up for his uh, his rights yes. and his business. Exactly. Um, yeah, and uh, P- P- Paul, you've uh, been having fun with the French language. It's not something we can say very often this week. <laughs> uh, so tell us about that. Yeah. Um, well, somebody, uh, I believe it was Mo- Niels or Molly, who said um, uh, that in Delft uh, there was this cafe that had to close because of uh, the second lockdown, who had written on, on, on one of their windows, uh, students of Delft, a thank you. Um, so for Dutch News, we wanted to, to have a photo of that. So, uh, But I really wanted to have an Oliebol, and one of the best Oliebol Kramer in Delft is located just just around the corner of that place. So I thought Are there it was more an- Oliebol Kramer than the one that's there? Yeah, that's one uh, 200 meters of my place. Oh. I've but that one isn't that isn't that good, and okay. bu- and and their olibol are quite expensive. Good so enough. I went there to get an olibol and take that photo for Dutch news, uh, and I also tweeted that photo, and then uh, a lot of people commented that 
uh, either that they thought that uh, it wasn't the fault of the students and some people uh, said the opposite, that they did think it was the fault of the students that the second lockdown came into effect. And someone uh, replied to that with, um, there's not a word of French uh, in this phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wasn't aware that was a um, that, that was a saying in Dutch, but apparently but, uh, it is. I thought it wasn't it about Spanish. Yeah, Spanish or Chinese. I was saying about Spanish. Yeah, it's yeah, speaking yeah. in Spanish. That's what yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I looked at the word horeca and I thought, well, it is that word literally means hotel, restaurant, cafe. So indeed, there are three words of French <laughs> uh, on this window. So I uh, pointed it out to her. I also looked up where where students came from, but. Um, that word, etymologically speaking, does not come from French, but from Latin. Uh. But what's, what is the meaning of there's no French in this sentence? Or yeah, you spark that, 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 that it's the truth. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that, okay. yeah that, that, that it's clear and unambiguous, right? Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. Gotcha. Molly, which uh, reality TV show have you been glued to this week? Then? Well, we so. got into a discussion. <laughs> Are we going to talk about this later at some point? Because somebody asked, I Maybe. think, Paul? Are you, Gordon? Who was it? About why their colleagues are always watching Borzuk Frau. Um, yeah, we are, we are getting into that later. Yeah, yeah, the Dutch reality show. And I, we had discussed just scrapping all of the serious news because 2020 is a dumpster fire um, <laughs> and just doing reality TV show coverage. And I said only if we also do Vies de Mol because this season, my personal hero, Nikki Tutorials, is on Vies de Mol. And so I've been uh, enjoying watching that. Yeah, you've been watching it? Yeah, I mean, not like all that seriously, but yes. Oh, okay, Mm. okay. Who do you think the mole is? I have no idea. I don't, I mean, (laughs) I don't think that there's any way to actually guess these things. There is a a 25% uh, chance that Nikki is indeed the mole. That would make me extremely happy, I think. So Mm. that's kind of what I'm rooting for, but I don't really have any idea. We will know this Saturday. This is true. We will know on Saturday. Ah, yeah. It's an excellent birthday present for me because my birthday is Saturday. <laughs> but it, your birthday was cancelled, so no present. My birthday for was cancelled. Your birthday's cancelled, but you get the final of Vias de Mole. I get the so, final of Vias de Mole. You know. What would I prefer to have? A nice romantic dinner out with my partner in a restaurant, having a lovely time, or watching the end of Vias de Mole? Yeah, but you can watch it with Oli Bolan this year. Because they've true. opened, opened the Olibola cram early, so what are you complaining about? And we... to be f- to be fair, probably this romantic restaurant uh, uh, would have uh, uh, set up a TV set for everyone to this see uh, the finale of Wisdom Hall. Mm. We we did order a very large cake, and the lady uh, made me reassure her repeatedly that we were not having an actual party. And I was like, no, I have to eat. I have to celebrate my birthday alone because it's been canceled. And if I want to eat a very large cake by myself, I can do that. I am an adult. <laughs> I so. think she missed an opportunity to be uh, to be a boa. Uh, this here. is true. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Maybe in a spare time, she can walk in uh, tattoo shops and ask if, uh, if, if not too many people are present there. Maybe she works for the click line in her spare time. I don't mm. know how well it pays to be like a professional baker, so you don't know. Well, fi- yeah, that's true. For click, it, uh, it, it will earn you 50 euros uh, per click. We know that. There you go. Yeah, see? Uh, yes. so, but Gordon, you are uh, a mm. cancel culture crusader this week. Uh, yeah, I'm. I've, 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 I've gone woke this week. Apparently, yes, you've gone. Um, I wasn't aware woke. of this. 
<laughs> yeah, but, but, but I've, I've been uh, reliably, I have it on good authority. By the act of sending a single tweet, I think. This is all you did, and now you have become the poster yeah, child for... I sent one tweet, and now I'm, I'm literally the poster child for burning down buildings and, uh, yes. and pulling down statues. <laughs> and yes, I, I, exactly. I actually have to go to straight... I'm going to go straight out of this podcast and find a statue of Pete Klein to pull down, because that's my job now. Now, what yeah, happens... Yeah. That, 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 it's just very odd. That there was some op-hef uh, yesterday, which was Thursday, um, about a guy... Uh, called uh, David Valentek, who's a Polish academic at the University of Amsterdam, uh, who was invited onto NOS to talk about his specialist field, um, which I can't remember what it was. But anyway, he was. Uh, he, they they pulled the invitation and sent him an email saying, "Sorry, sorry, uh, David, but we've uh, decided not to put you on the radio because we thought your accent might put off the listeners." Now this seemed like a pretty crappy thing to do and there was lots of responses to it um so i just dropped him an email saying would you like to speak about it uh, for an interview with uh, dutch news because that's kind of my job um is, it, and is then, that what you do for a living gordon send just send random people messages on twitter and ask them to have interviews is that, is that yeah, what it that, is? That, that's actually how journalism works uh, oh, some of the time i you had know, no idea a, yeah no amazing idea. hey anyway i had a good authority from uh, a source not very far from a microphone um, uh, in, in, in Delft that uh, the, uh, some people were concerned that um, I'd been uh, taken up by uh, I'd been, been over-influenced by cancel culture um, because so, you just wanted to talk to the guy and ask what happened yeah because yeah. I'd asked to speak to the guy and I, I put up one tweet saying this is a bit uh, th- th- this seems a bit unreasonable or a, a bit unfair of NOS um, and then uh, and then asked to speak to him about it because I thought that's th- that would be a good thing to do but apparently this meant that I was some kind of woke crusader all of a sudden uh, which is yeah. very strange somebody uh, someone that I a source that I had uh, who is somewhat close to the story for reasons we are, we're not going to disclose because I don't want to out this person, uh, messaged me in, in great concern about this tweet that you had sent. And the first question this person asked was, well, how well do you know Gordon? To which I said... <laughs> Um, <laughs> you denied his existence three times and then and then and then and then this person said i think th- uh, gordon has been too influenced by cancel culture which i then could not stop laughing for about five minutes yeah. um and then got quite annoyed because i was saying like yeah i mean i think that gordon is a professional journalist who has spent many years doing this job and and can 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 do his job well and i have no you know, all the confidence in the world that he will, you know, sort of investigate this situation with the objectivity and the sensitivity <laughs> that it deserves. Yeah. Um, and then I thought it was really hilarious, so I immediately told Gordon. <laughs> yeah, the assumptions... I- the assumptions people fun. can make based on one tweet, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. and, yeah. like, That's of hilarious. course, you are going to have to, like, I, I don't understand what you're supposed to do, right? I guess, like, you just ignore yeah. all of this and don't pay any attention to what the story is here, because to pay attention to it would be to adhere to woke culture or something? I, I mean, don't know. Like- yeah, you're, yeah, you're supposed to you're supposed to sweep it under the carpet and uh, pretend it's not happening. Because that worked with racism, you know? That's yeah, disappeared it's, I mean, it's worked with so many things, really. Like <laughs> coronavirus in the United States. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had a message from a listener. We'll, we'll do the patrons a bit later, but uh, we had a message from a listener who asked us um, if we'd abandoned our blanket fortresses because he noticed the uh, in, the the uh, improvement in the audio quality on the podcast. And he said, "Are you recording together in the same location? Given the recent spike in coronavirus cases in the Netherlands, I'm wondering what led you to do this." Um, but actually, no. We, we are still very much under the blanket fortresses. We've just become better audio engineers. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. Apparently, we've yeah. gotten better at our job with practice <laughs> yeah. over time. Yeah, yeah, it's funny how that works. 
Yeah, yeah. I wasn't worried that. Remember, yeah, the, the the one kind of highly technical, highly skilled audio engineering thing I've done is uh, moved the microphone closer to my face, <laughs> and that seems to have uh, had a huge difference. So there we are. That's a top professional tip for anyone who's now. If up a only podcast. we could get you to stop banging things on the microphone while you're recording. Oh, that's the other really thing I'm doing. I'm actually holding up. I'm holding up the blanket on on the right hand side where the microphone is with one hand throughout yeah. this podcast. Don't you have oh. like a lamp or something you can like stick under there? Come on, Gordon. You got to get creative here. It's just a blanket tapping um, on the top of the microphone. It's that's all it is. But it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a very sensitive microphone that we've been lent by our um, uh, our anonymous uh, sound engineering consultant. So we're grateful to him. But it does have the side effect of uh, being very very sensitive to any kind of tapping noises. And it also uh, has a side effect of you being a Nazi for an hour. Yeah, indeed. yeah, because you sort of have to hold up your arm in like a very inappropriate. Salute. Yeah, I have to yeah. hold my right arm up straight. Yeah, luckily the curtains are drawn; <laughs> otherwise the bars would be the bars would be round. Yeah. So speaking of uh, highly controversial and appalling things, uh, Paul, what is the opf of the week this week? The opf of this week is that in the Hague, people in a packed party tent celebrated the start of the second lockdown only meters away from the uh, Tweede Kamer and were caught on camera. Um, as we will hear later on the podcast, Prime Minister Mark Rutte announced on Tuesday uh, that the country will go into a second lockdown starting from uh, yeah yesterday, you know, uh, the day before that, Wednesday, 10 p.m. Uh, we will walk you through all the new measures, but one of them was that restaurants and cafes had to, uh, yeah close their doors for at least the coming four weeks and many people decided to uh, you know eat outdoors on Wednesday uh, for what they dubbed as uh, on social media as the last supper uh, or uh, to go out uh, to get the last beer at their favorite cafes uh, and in one particular venue at the Plein in The Hague this ran completely out of hand um, also in Rosendaal by the way I just found out but uh, uh, yeah. th- that didn't of cause that much up Rosendaal is no. where I come from yeah. Um, but it's too far away from it's it's not 50 meters away from the trader karma which i think was the uh, yeah, salient yeah. point here indeed <laughs> only 25 minutes before the lockdown came into effect guests of the cafe uh, yeah which is located only meters away from the trader karma where at that exact moment mps were debating the enormous increase of corona infections in the country started to dance and sing in the tent while loud music played and the incident was captured on camera by bbc correspondent anna holligan whose uh, tweets went viral almost instantaneously. Uh, the videos were shared by people who were outraged by the irresponsible and selfish behavior of the partygoers, and many pointed out that these people looked more like Hank and Ingrid and not like Mohammed and Fatima. And uh, this was a reference to a tweet of Geert Wilders earlier this week, in which he responded to news that the majority of the ICUs in the four big cities are occupied by people of non-Western origin. He tweeted, treatments and operations of Hank and Ingrid are postponed because Mohammed and Fatima who do not speak our language, don't respect the rules. Um, yeah, that uh, tweet obviously uh, caused a lot of upheaval as well. Um, yeah. And the, of course, the twist in the tale is that Wilders now has corona. Indeed, yeah. No, well, he, he doesn't have corona, but one of his bodyguards... Uh, ah, yes, yes, that's right. He's had to go into quarantine because of his bodyguard. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, well, I really, really hope he doesn't get it and end up in the ICU. That would be a tragic irony. Yeah, indeed. Um, and the owner of the cafe told Omroep West he uh, finds the ophef exaggerated. He said he turned down the music at around uh, half past nine uh, in the evening and denies the police intervened at 
uh, as the municipality of The Hague claims. No fines were handed out to the partygoers, but the mayor of The Hague, Jan van Zane, called the incident totally irresponsible. And also Minister Vert, no social distancing wedding, Grapperhaus, was <laughs> appalled. <laughs> he said, uh, 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 taking videos of, of, uh, of innocent partygoers, who does such a thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have to say, uh, at first, when um, Wedding Gate uh, broke, I thought that Rapperhaus uh, didn't have to resign, that he could stay on. But when I hear him, uh, you know, uh, 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 saying about this stuff, that he was appalled, um, I can't take him seriously anymore. No. No, it's yeah. totally undermined his authority, and it's a big problem for the government. It's uh, indeed, and same. And the government just decided to 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 quarter the fines and to uh, uh, to scrap the uh, criminal record thing because it, otherwise it would be too awkward to have a a, a minister of justice with mm-hmm. a criminal record. And yep. I think that's that's not not the right approach. I have I've said mm. it before, but no, they just Rapperhaus um, just should have resigned and. Uh, uh, someone else with authority uh, would have to, uh, yeah, would have become minister. Sure. I think. Yeah. 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 I, th- I think we're all kind of in agreement on that uh, that point. Yeah, it's kind of hamstrung him, and uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, d- definitely undermined the authority of the whole government, which is not good. So yeah, and and just an absolute um, yeah carnage in the centre of the Hague, as uh, almost everyone could have predicted. But the fact that it happened outside the Binnenhof, I think, was the thing that um, yeah. um, that, that made it even even worse. That the, you, you could almost probably almost hear it from the debating chamber. Of, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. That's how, how close yeah. it was. Yeah. But yeah, it was a fun party. It looked like a fun party. <laughs> I have to admit that. I just don't. I mean, I guess in order to be in that tent and enjoying yourself like that either you have to think corona is not real or you have to think if you get it it won't be serious because i mean like many people i am you know anxious about going to the albert hein in my mask where for the most part like i am not coming anywhere near other human beings because i'm going at like seven o'clock on a wednesday morning um but that process makes me uncomfortable because there is a global pandemic that is killing people out there. And I would like to not get this disease. Mm. And I guess like, I don't understand how you can relax and jump around and dance in one of these party tents under these conditions, because I couldn't do that for sure. Yeah. But there's a lot of people out there who still think it's just a flu and it only yeah. kills old people. And it's not so much whether it'll kill you. It probably wouldn't kill you or me if we got it, but there's a lot of people um, in my sort of age in your forties who are getting this long COVID disease which sounds just awful where yeah. you get it and you survive but you are just sick for months and months and i know a couple i personally know a couple of people who've um uh, who are still suffering from it having contracted it back in april or may yeah and that's I mean, the thing i'm more worried about than dying of it to be perfectly honest yeah we have like friends who got it early on and who suffered for long periods of time people who were sick for six or eight weeks like young healthy people um, and so it just feels like, yeah, I mean, I don't want that. That is also really awful. And I have no interest in being sick for eight weeks. That also sounds yeah. terrible. Yeah. And you, you get people, you get appalling people on like, uh, like York Kelder turning up on the television and saying, well, you know, uh, we shouldn't just shut down the economy for this disease because let's face it, what's worse, losing your job or losing some kind of distant relative when actually a lot of people are going to lose their job because they're so sick with COVID that they can't work anymore. And, you know, people aren't thinking of, the, of these things. They think it's a black and white thing yeah, that you either save the economy or save the people. But, yeah, um, you know, you, no. if, yeah, if you let the disease spread, it is going to damage, it's going to make a lot of people sick and also wreck the economy. Yeah, indeed. So, 
But you know, York Heldor's got a fast car, so everyone listens to him. It's quite amazing. This week, we've got a full breakdown of the second lockdown. The coronavirus app finally goes live, and there is some good news for 2020 because you're much less likely to be murdered <laughs> by people, not by the virus. Yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah, we, should, we should make that clear. Yeah, the virus is a silent killer, but other killers have uh, are, are, are less common. Killers so. you can see are less common. Yeah. On Tuesday evening, Mark Rutter bowed to the inevitable and announced a partial lockdown in response to weeks of rising coronavirus infections. All bars and cafes and restaurants were ordered to shut at 10pm on Wednesday evening. Restaurants are only open for takeaway pickups. Amateur sports matches have been cancelled and gatherings are limited to a maximum of four people. Only one group of visitors are allowed per day, which means that's the end of the relay circle parties, which had sprung up to replace the actual circle parties, and it just means Molly's going to have to eat that big cake all by herself. Goddamn right I am. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, birthdays are officially cancelled. Rutter said, quote, The number of social contacts and movements we make has to be cut drastically. It's the only way we have to be tough on ourselves and on our behaviour. So, sound like a very stern schoolmaster. So, Gordon, what are the numbers like? Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, they are 12-point fucking dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> a week ago, we passed the 5,000 infections per day mark. Um, that sounds seems like Sunday Toplands now, because yesterday, which is Thursday, we got, to, we got up to nearly 8,000. Hmm. There's more than 1,500 patients in hospital with COVID-19. 313 of them are in intensive care. And the German province of North Rhine-Westfalen has set aside 72 intensive care beds for Dutch patients for if, or should that be when, the Netherlands ICU capacity runs out. Um, and given that uh, the, the scenes in, in The Hague and Rosendal uh, the start of the week, that's going to happen sooner rather than later, probably. So it's just looking more and more like the first wave with every passing day, basically. Um, the positive test rate has gone up again. So according to the RAVM's latest weekly bulletin now, nearly 14% of COVID-19 tests were positive, compared to less than 1% back in June when we thought we had it under control. Well, it will be a nice change of things uh, if the Dutch started to invade uh, Germany for once. Well, we, we did it once already back in the spring. So That's right. Uh, so sec- I, I, I think even now there, there will be Dutch clinics going around and going over to Germany and hanging beach towels on <laughs> ICU beds. You know, to- uh. <laughs> Do you think the Dutch people dig holes in front of the ICU uh, entrances and sit in them while they're waiting for their relatives inside? They're not called Definitely, holes, yeah. they're called trenches. I'm sorry. Canals. Yeah, yeah, they'll, canals, they'll, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah they'll be out there with their plastic spades digging very straight canals <laughs> as they do on the beach. Um, and uh, going back to serious things now, uh, are face masks uh, compulsory now everywhere or not? Um, almost. Uh, officially, masks are strongly advised in all public spaces uh-huh. like shops, museums, secondary schools, universities, libraries, doctor's surgeries, anywhere where the sun doesn't shine. So uh, <laughs> given it's October, that's the whole country. Yeah. Um, Rutter said he wanted to settle the debate about face masks by uh, removing the advisory element. Um, and Health Minister Hugo de Jonge said the period of being without obligations is very much over. But they can't actually make them compulsory right now until they pass a law, because any rule that specifies what you wear on your face, um, as Kit Wilders can tell you, affects your right to privacy, <laughs> yeah. and that's protected by the Dutch constitution, and therefore they have to pass an act of parliament. And I have to say that, uh, you know, that I'm quite glad, actually, that we're in a country where they actually follow and observe due process of law in this kind of thing, because, oh, yeah, uh, sure. rather than just... A lot of people on Twitter have said, why can't they just make them compulsory? Like, yeah. uh, you know, the, But, you know, it is literally, if you don't have due process, you really do have dictatorship and yeah. you know i'm very glad that we have a system where 
parliamentarians have to come together and debate and discuss and agree and pass the law um, and, and and you have those checks and balances are in place and even in the middle of a pandemic it's really important it's the same thing with the churches and with uh, mosques right uh, they also yeah. enjoy a special uh, place in the constitution and you can't as a government just just tell them um, this place of worship needs to shut down uh, and, and you can agree with it or you can disagree with it but the fact is that uh, uh, these places are um, um, uh, they that uh, that this constitution says that you cannot do it, so the government cannot do it. It's uh, it's it's the same thing, I think. Yeah, yeah it's the definitely. same with the compulsory quarantining. That it turns out the government can't just tell you to stay, force you to stay in your house for ten days. I mean, all of these things are good. I, I think the problem with all of them is is that the government didn't get its act together in March when we knew that these things were going to be an issue to try to set up yeah. some sort of legal precedent to be mm-hmm. able to enforce this stuff if things got bad enough to need it. Yeah, totally. I mean, they've had, I think, three or four stabs now at um, drafting a coronavirus law and it's fallen through because they haven't drafted it well. If they'd done it right the first time, we wouldn't be in this mess now. I mean, part of this problem is is that stabbing in general is down in this country. They're just not very talented at it anymore. Yeah, (laughs) they're out of practice. And and there was also a lot of wishful thinking involved, right? We just just didn't want a second wave uh, to come, so we... We we didn't go. Uh, we we didn't prepare for it because we didn't want it to come. But yeah, yeah and there's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of laziness as well. Yeah. I think because um, the, the the original rules that came in, uh, you know, the social distancing and shutting the bars, were all done by um, uh, 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 by local orders, which was fine because it was an emergency. But um, you know, uh, constitutional lawyers said at some point you're going to have to replace these with an actual coronavirus law that's passed by Parliament. Yeah. But of course, then. Uh, the infections went down and it became less of a priority and they said, yeah, we'll just get round to it in uh, in our own sweet time. And of course, they didn't do it. And then the second wave came along and they're in a pickle. Yeah, but so. they started to call it uh, had new and normal almost uh, a week into the first lockdown and would have been yeah. with them a hint that uh, this was going to take much longer than 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 a couple of uh, than a couple of months in, in, in the spring of, um, of 2020. So uh, at that point, they should have uh, already um, uh, uh, realized that where we needed uh, some sort of legal framework uh, for for this, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So are we surprised that the advice to wear face masks failed? Uh, No. Uh, no, I don't. I, th- I don't think so. And it has to do with the fact that also the ONT and Jaap van Dissel of the RIVM uh, keep telling media that uh, uh, face masks don't do anything and you don't have to wear them. Even though uh, uh, we're going to talk about it uh, in the next uh, in the next segment about uh, communication. Um, but yeah, it is it, that 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 makes things very um, confusing. If on the one hand you, you have a minister who says wear these face masks, it is highly recommended, it's highly advised actually, and then you have this mm-hmm. uh, boss of the of the National Health Institute who says it doesn't work, so why bother? Uh, I, I understand why people think that's very confusing and it's very conflicting. I mean, yeah. I just, like, we. there are laws that exist in this country, right? The Netherlands is not a country of suggestions even strongly worded ones like speeding is against the law murder is against the law painting my stupid house a non-approved color is against the law (laughs) so like i don't and you see what happens when you don't allow people when you allow people to do whatever they want you end up with houses that look like belgium so (laughs) i I, I don't understand why anybody thought that this was gonna work this way that all of these 
it's strongly advised to stay home. It's strongly advised to do this. Like, of course this wasn't going to work out. People don't want, I don't want to be living like this. I want to be able to go out to dinner for my birthday. Like, of course people were going to do the things that they wanted to do. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe you can come up with uh, some sort of loophole where you can still uh, invite people to your house even though they're not actually uh, indoors. Yeah, I mean, I if you are outside of your house and not on your property, <laughs> there are no rules about how many people can be there. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah, maybe you can also move your front door so it's not on your property and then you can paint whatever color you like. Oh, <laughs> yeah. sneaky idea. So, Gordon, how long are we dealing with this lockdown 2.0? Uh, at least four weeks. Uh, they're going to be reviewed after two weeks, but Ritter has already said they will last for four weeks and everyone expects they'll be in place for much longer. Yeah. Um, Hugo de Jong has said we need to get the numbers right down before we can think about unlocking and the reproductive number R needs to be below one and in the last weekly REVM report it went up to 1.27. Yap von Dissel, the head of the REVM, who we just mentioned, uh, said he didn't expect the numbers to get down to an acceptable level until the new year. So you can cancel Halloween, Sinterklaas, Christmas, and the giant beach bonfires in Scapania. So, <laughs> yeah. in that, so in that sense, the country's going to be safer. Yeah, this, uh, <laughs> that's this, true. Uh, Christmas, I actually. Am, I'm very much now looking forward to the report in February about how fewer people ended up dying uh, at yeah, and, New Year's because of yeah. the fact that you couldn't celebrate New Year's, even though yeah. more people died of corona. Yeah, and, and all the eye surgeons will be able to go to bed early as well yeah. on New Year's Eve rather than to, uh, repair the eyes of children that have been taken out by fireworks. Think yeah. of all so, the dogs who will not be traumatized this year. See, yeah. Corona, I really, I, it's really starting to make me think that Corona was engineered by dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and w what did we think of the... Uh, alcohol is banned right now. You can't buy, buy alcohol after... 8 p.m. I think or before yep. that mm. uh, you can't carry it with you uh, but what about weed and marijuana uh, initially it was banned but then the government realized wait this already banned product uh, uh, mm. we, we sort of we gedoog it we allow it but you know uh, yeah. don't don't ask don't tell um, we wink wink nod nod it wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah. Uh, but because of that we can't uh, we can't ban it again or something so they are yeah. forced to allow it yeah. even though it's already banned yes i mean yeah. I so think they, they, like... have to, they have to continue to they have to continue to uh, to turn a blind eye to cannabis use because they set the precedent yeah basically. yeah yeah, yeah. Isn't, yeah. Isn't they, they, they would have to they would, they would have to end the whole kudor construction uh, <laughs> if they wanted to ban cannabis use and it they don't want to do that it turns out that so. designing press legal precedents around wink wink nod nod agreements uh, is not a great way to run a country and that you should fix yeah. that. Like, it, it yeah. turns out it's not great to just strongly advise people to do stuff. They don't listen. And it turns out that it's not great to just say, eh, we've kind of decided that this is fine. It has repercussions. Indeed. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. This was the funniest thing that I had heard all week. Yeah, I was very entertained. <laughs> I agree. Hours before the second lockdown came into effect, the Tweede Kamer debated on Wednesday with Prime Minister Mark Rutte and Johnny Bravo knockoff and Health Minister Hugo de Jonge about how well the government is handling the second wave of the coronavirus. And surprise, surprise, MPs are not happy. From left to right and from opposition to coalition, all parties unanimously think the government's new measures were too little and came too late. Especially left-wing opposition parties were very critical. Labour leader Lodewijk Ascher said he is losing trust 
in the cabinet and emphasized that the government failed all its goals it had set this summer. Uh, these goals were avoiding a second wave and a consequent economic crisis, providing enough test capacity and preventing that regular treatments and operations have to be postponed. And yeah, all of them failed. The government failed in all of this and has put the health of the nation in danger, Usher said. And he was joined by SP leader Lilian Marijnissen and GroenLinks leader Jesse Klaver in the criticism that the cabinet is putting the blame too much at people for not following the rules. PVV leader Geert Wilders said it was bitter and unacceptable that care for cancer patients and heart patients is being postponed for the second time this year. Um, coalition parties were also uh, very critical. VVD leader Klaas Dijkhoff, uh, who by the way announced this weekend he will leave politics after the elections, said he thinks the cabinet uh, should have implemented harsher measures and days 60 leader Rob Jette blamed a failing testing system and lack of clarity about measures for the second wave. Where do we start? <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. There's so much to start with. I completely forgot that Klaus Dijkhoff was leaving, which was like huge news. And now it feels like it happened a decade ago. Yeah, when uh, when we were discussing uh, what we we're going to cover on the podcast uh, yesterday, uh, all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute, Klaus Dijkhoff, he's quitting when I wrote this, uh, this part of the script. And then uh, are we going to mention that? No, we don't have time. We just are going to have to uh, squeeze it in somewhere. So uh, that's the that's the big news of Saturday. We just mentioned in one uh, one little sentence. Yeah. So speaking of things we are also not really going to talk about, it was Mark Rutte's 10 year anniversary as prime minister. Um, <laughs> and he was asked to reflect on how he and his cabinet have handled the coronavirus. It was not a good day for Mark Rutana's 10-year anniversary. So what did uh, what did he have to say about how he felt that they had done? He uh, he acknowledged that he and his cabinet had made mistakes. Uh, yeah, which is well, is it a surprise? No, I don't think he had a choice actually, right? But at least it is uh, sometimes refreshing to to see politicians uh, acknowledging that they had made uh, mistakes. I think um, he learned five lessons. He said the first is that measures should have been harsher. Uh, secondly, that the cabinet had relied too much on people's own responsibility for following the rules. Next, he said the communication had failed and wasn't effective enough. Um, Rutte said several ministers were looking into ways to improve the government's communication already, uh, but he didn't specify how they were going to do it. The fourth lesson was that the cabinet failed to anticipate uh, waterbed effects. Is that, is that a thing in English? I'm not sure. It means if you if you do something, then um, if you push somewhere, then Oh, it uh, like has reverberations? somewhere else yeah um so that's what what we call waterbed effects uh, in the netherlands sure we can use that that works he gave as an example uh, the closure of horeca at uh, 10 p.m for example three weeks ago that led to huge lines at supermarkets and night shops because people wanted alcohol of course so he said they uh, didn't take uh, uh, these kind of effects uh, too little into account and last but not least that the open discussion between ministers health experts and advisors about for example face masks we already mentioned that uh, and the closure of schools had contributed to uncertainty and confusion regarding the measures um, he didn't think however that the cabinet had waited too long to implement new rules new measures and a new lockdown so um, there's room for improvement here uh, and he also said that his communication had room for improvement, didn't he? Yeah, uh, that was one of the lessons that he had learned. And uh, one of the ways the cabinet is trying to improve this is the introduction of the roadmap or routekaart. Uh, on this diagram, it is outlined which measures will come into effect at which risk level. Uh, we had a Corona dashboard before. It is online. You can look at it. It gave an overview of the situation in a given area with statistics such as number of infections per 100,000 people, number of people in intensive care and uh, other statistics 
this as well. Uh, and it also included levels at which the situation was regarded as problematic. But exceeding these levels didn't automatically lead to new measures. And that was kind of strange to, to see that we had exceeded, for example, the uh, number of infections per 100,000 people for weeks now, and it didn't for months now, and it didn't lead to new measures. So what's the point of having a Corona dashboard if it doesn't lead to uh, new measures? So this is the way they're trying to improve this. And I have to say it is a nice overview. So for example, we are now, uh, I'm looking at it now, we are at risk level four. And uh, for example, for Horeca, that means that it is closed, but uh, you can still, takeaways is still allowed. Uh, for example, and in um, risk level uh, two, if I take a look at, for example, shops, it means that um, special opening times for elderly and other um, vulnerable groups have to be implemented. So it's, it's really nice to see at which level, uh, at which field, uh, which measures are um, are uh, are in effect. Yeah, I, I don't understand why this wasn't. Um uh done earlier i mean i did a story at the very beginning of the lockdown about science communication during a pandemic kind of thing it, it didn't have anything to do with the netherlands but i was you know, sort of interested in that and everybody was basically saying the same thing which is is that you have to set like clear expectations so like if the situation is this these things happen right which like is also like exactly what you want to do with raising your children or exactly what you want to do when managing employees, right? That like having clear expectations with clear outcomes is just a really good way of dealing with people in general. And just communicate what's happening. If you order something online and, and they say uh, you will, you will, uh, it will be delivered in two days, uh, just proactively tell your customers that there is a delay and that it won't be two days, but it will be four days. I mean, And then people are much less mad. I mean, we've known. I'm sure this is very basic sort of human behavior. And so why they didn't do this sooner, I don't know. Although this has kind of been the theme of the podcast. Like... Lots of people who are much smarter than we are have been saying for weeks now that you need to do more stuff and they haven't done it. So, but I'm glad it exists now. It is nice. I think that it's, it's good that it's out there. Last week, we told you we got an app. This week, we're going to tell you about all the problems with that. <laughs> the Dutch coronavirus tracing app, Corona Melda, uh, was downloaded 700,000 times on Saturday, the day it went national. In total, the app has now been downloaded 2.65 million times, according to health ministry officials. That was numbers from yesterday, so I guess it's probably a little bit higher now. The app warns users using Bluetooth that they've spent 15 minutes or more in close contact with someone who tests positive for the virus. Health Minister Hugo de Jonga commissioned the app to trace the spread of the coronavirus in the wake of flopped efforts to fast-track the process in a weekend event in mid-April. Can't believe he thought that that was going to work. Testing first started in June. It's available in both English and Dutch. We've discussed how many problems we had in getting this app. Now that we have one, not enough people are using it. The Netherlands has a population of over 17 million, and experts say some 40 to 50% of the people have to be able to use the app before it is effective at halting the spread of the virus. So this to like 2.65 million number is a little short, not cutting it. Further, unions are now complaining about the app because anyone who is notified via the app that they have had contact with a person infected with coronavirus has to quarantine for 10 days. Users, get an alert, are not allowed to get a test unless they have actual symptoms. This means they have to stay home for the 10-day period, even if this turns out to be unnecessary. The other option being to pay for a private test, which of course are expensive. 
Employers are worried about having to foot the bill for replacement workers. Some companies are turning to the private sector to ensure that their staff can be tested quickly. The construction and engineering sectors, for example, have set up their own fast tests for members. So this is not a, it's a bit of an implementation problem that if you tell people, if people get the app and if they have contact with someone with corona and are notified, then they have to stay home for 10 days. It's a real incentive to not download no, the app. Indeed, yeah. Um, Which we've known about these issues since way early on, because in the spring, when I went to Luxembourg for work, they were testing people at the airport and they're really encouraging you to get tested in Luxembourg. And they say, if you test positive, you have to quarantine for 14 days in Luxembourg. So what is the thing to do if you're only going to be in town for two days and you don't want to stay there for two weeks? Just don't get tested. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, especially because you have to quarantine in Luxembourg and nobody wants that. Yeah, and especially in this case, you may have to quarantine in your house for 10 days completely unnecessarily. Yeah. So did you download the app, Paul? Yeah, I did. Um, okay. But I have to uh, make sure that I keep running it because uh, what I often do is just close all the all the apps that are open. Yeah. And then um, I have to stop at the last app because that's the Corona Melder. Corona and app. sometimes I yeah. close it accidentally and then I remember, oh, I have to um, uh, keep it turned on, of course. Keep it so on. yeah, but I have it. Do you have it? I did not download mm. it. Oh. I thought about it. I had a lot of debate. Anybody who was listening last week knows that I was having a bit of a struggle with this. And then, of course, we went into like actual lockdown, and now I'm basically oh not yeah, so it's not necessary. So I feel yeah. like my contribution is not that re required because I don't have anywhere to yeah, go anymore. Yeah, indeed. So this is my justification. I do not want any hate mail for it. I debated a long time. You will get hate mail anyway. I mean, that. yeah, that's fair. But, like, I, I did think about this for a while. I decided in the end I was not comfortable with it, and so I didn't do it. Um, it's caused a bit of controversy in my private life because my partner and his entire family have been very pro-downloading the app. So it's caused a bit of a some discussion mm -hmm. about uh, how valid my opinion is. Yeah, well, luckily we live in a free country, and as long as it's yeah, not legally obliged, uh, you don't have to do it. Yeah. And I've got a bit of a free rider problem, because, of course, if the person I'm sharing a household with has the app, the odds are pretty good that we're if we're coming in contact with somebody, that we're coming in contact with the same people. So. Yeah. Oh. All right. Problem solved. I, you found I, another loophole, Molly. I found a loophole. Yeah. You're probably saving a small fortune on cream cakes now you've had to cancel all your circle parties, so why not divert the money to a good cause by becoming a Dutch News patron? All our patrons will get a shout-out on the podcast, as well as our eternal gratitude, and we'll do our best to answer your questions about life in the Netherlands. But we start this week with a very special announcement, because last weekend was the occasion of our first ever Dutch News podcast listeners party. Not on the plain outside the Binnenhof, um, but at a socially responsible distance of 6,672 kilometres in Minneapolis, which has become our twin town. Barry Johnson sent us some pictures, which we'll post on the webpage, and an update. Quote, we chose as a backdrop for our photo the Spoon Bridge and Cherry Sculpture at the Minneapolis Sculpture Park at the edge of downtown Minneapolis, uh, which is uh, something of an iconic piece from Minneapolis uh, and was also created by a husband and wife collaboration and the wife was Dutch born. Uh, Klaas Oldenburg, well they're Americans so they'll be called the Klaas Oldenburg and Koosje van Bruggen <laughs> probably uh, are the artists. Um, they have a couple of pieces in the Netherlands, the most impressive being the flying pins in Eindhoven. The flying pins is kind of like a giant bowling ball um, scene 
that's been uh, put up in a park. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the patrons uh, in Minneapolis also say they've already decided they're going to try and reconvene for Koningsdag next spring. Um, ideally without the need for distancing. M- maybe our group will have grown by then, said Barry. Well, let's, uh, let's hope you have. Really nice to, to see that uh, they've had a meet-up and uh, see, see the uh, results and um, hope you guys are all doing well out there. It's kind of weird, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's really yeah, it's weird. weird. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm not it's the totally only one weird. that's like, I mean, not that I want to discourage them or like say that like I was uncomfortable with them get meeting up, but it, as it, it feels very strange. I agree. Yeah. Well, the fact they've had a meet a meet up in Minneapolis when we haven't had one in in Delft is uh, yeah, it's just really really weird. Um, we also say hello and thank you to three new patrons. Uh, first up is uh, Liberty Chi, who says uh, she's been enjoying the weekly podcast for a long while. Um, I figure I should do something concrete to show my appreciation. Keep up the good work. So thank you very much to you. Um, and then we have Cathy uh, van Maren, who's from guess where. No. No. <laughs> she Minnesota? says... It's in the water in Minnesota, for God's sake. <laughs> it's uncanny, isn't it? Yeah, we've, we've got to investigate this. Uh, she says, I live just across the Mississippi River from the Dutch news hotspot in the Twin Cities. My religious nut Dutch ancestors sailed to the USA in 1847, and I visited the Netherlands a lot over the past 30 years and dream of moving there, depending on the outcome of our election. Fair enough. Indeed. Uh, and finally, Tony Evans, who's in Tilburg and says he's an uh, assistant professor of psychology and he's making use of the pandemic to keep a running tally of who's wearing masks in his local Albert Heijn. Is that good for your mental health, though, Tony? I don't, I don't know. As a psychologist, <laughs> you should maybe, know, you should maybe be uh, thinking about this. Maybe we can send Tony to Minneapolis and see uh, and, 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 and see if he can figure out what's wrong people. with these people. Uh, anyway, Tony has uh, asked us a question, and um, Tony, I've got to say, if if this is the standard of your general questions to Dutch news, we're going to get on really, really well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because Tony's Tony's <laughs> asked probably the best question we've had yet so far from a patron. He says, "What is the deal with Borzut Frau, and why are all my Dutch co-workers obsessed with it?" Tony, we don't know the answer to this question. No one knows no. the answer to this question. <laughs> but it is a real thing. Borzuk Frau is a Dutch reality show, which literally means farmer seeks wife. Um, and it's about finding ladies for farmers, basically. The, the, the thing is with these farmers, they are obviously 24-7 busy farming, so they don't have very much experience in the dating scene. So uh, when they follow uh, these farmers and all of a sudden they have uh, three women or sometimes there is a, a they have female farmers too, so then uh, men come along, you know, they the, the, the most awkward situations unfold and uh, you're watching these poor farmers dealing with uh, three women who all of a sudden are interested in them uh, and they go they out just and have date no, idea and what to do. no and uh, the most awkward silence occurs during their dates and it, it is it is fascinating to watch and um, we're not the only ones who think it's fascinating to watch I believe it's one of the most popular shows in the Netherlands sometimes several million people watch it and uh, this is a country of 17 million so um, just uh, count uh, uh, do the maths yourself how popular it is part of the explanation I think is that every Dutch person secretly fancies themselves as a farmer they're, probably they're all, yeah they all sort of see themselves as rooted in this farming culture yeah even that's if true. if you'd like to join our gang of patreon backers and learn all about dutch popular culture log on to patreon.com slash dutch news nl so paul do you want to hear some good news um does it involve murder it does involve then murder. i want to hear it my favorite topic Indeed. unlike the corona infection rate the murder rate in the netherlands has dropped dramatically 
The number of murder victims in the country has almost halved since the turn of the century, according to a new analysis by National Statistics Office, SABAS, that was released this week. In 2000, 223 people were murdered, 153 men and 70 women. But by last year, this had fallen to 81 and 44, respectively, for a total of 125. And 16 of the 2019 murder victims did actually not officially live in the Netherlands, even though that they were killed here, the SABAS said. <laughs> oh, oops. Women, so we don't care about no. them. Women, the report said, are mostly killed by a partner or ex-partner or other family member, while men are mostly killed by a friend. So the lesson here is, is that I need to keep a close eye on my boyfriend, while you two need to keep a close eye on everyone you know. 90% of murderers are men, so I'm also watching you two just in case. Uh, this is part of a larger trend of homicide decreasing worldwide. Some of this is attributed to an aging population. Older people are less likely to commit murder than younger people. So <laughs> well, we really got to keep an eye on Paul. I've played Cluedos. I know that old people uh, murder other people as well. <laughs> yeah, and oftentimes with candlesticks, which was yeah, not a statistically the, the significant room. amount of yeah. murders in this report. Uh, other factors include better policing measures and decrease in alcohol and drug usage. Do you know uh, how safe the Netherlands is compared to the United States? It's so much safer yeah. here. Like, it's just painfully safer. The United States has a murder rate of 5 per 100,000 yeah. people. And the Netherlands has a murder rate of, oh, I have to scroll up very far, uh, 0.6. So, yeah, yeah. it's uh, almost uh, nine times uh, as bad in the, yeah. in the U.S. No, it's way safer here. Sports news, the Netherlands played two away matches this week in League A, Group 1, Subsection 2 of the Unfathomable <laughs> Nations League. Both ended in draws, though one was much more entertaining to watch than the other. Uh, Donny van der Beek's 24th minute equaliser earned a creditable point against Italy on Wednesday and ended a goal drought lasting 323 minutes, the longest time they've gone without a goal since Bert van Maivak was manager in 2009. It was a vast improvement on the drab 0-0 draw in Bosnia on Saturday and means the Dutch still have a hope of progressing from the group. Their final two games are next month at home to Bosnia and away in Poland, and they'll probably need to win them both, but uh, still in with a shout. I heard there was some ophef about the cancellation of the Eredivisie. Yes, uh, all amateur sports fixtures were cancelled as part of the lockdown, which meant that top flight football could carry on as usual, but only for men. Uh, the women's Eredivisie is classed as an amateur league, so that was cancelled <laughs> by the KNPB. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Are you I mean, serious? This is absolutely true. <sighs> yeah. Uh, predictably, it didn't go down well with uh, women's teams like Ajax and FC Twente, who these days are quite professional outfits and attached to professional clubs, but it took the intervention of junior health minister Tamara van Ark to get the games back on. Van Ark said the same rules had to apply to the men's and women's game, which yeah, uh, you'd have thought was obvious in 2020, yeah. but the Cannes Fay Bay uh, hadn't uh, really thought about it, I think, basically. So the women's matches are now back on. This weekend's matches aren't going to go ahead. They haven't got time to rearrange them. Then next weekend, there are women's international fixtures, but the league will start up again at the end of the month. I mean, if you look at the fuss, what the fuss, uh, at the fuss the Cannes Fay Bay made uh, when uh, soccer matches were uh, cancelled in the beginning of March and how uh, desperately they wanted to 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 uh, play a match in uh, Belarus even though there is a sort of civil war going on over there and then look at how easy they just they sh shrugged their, so their shoulders and said well we're just going to cancel the, the the women's league i mean it's just the Canva Bay doesn't have their priorities straight i think and uh, it's an appalling appalling organization so gordon you've written me a question i don't really <laughs> understand what it means but so i'm, I'm going to read it just just 
total deadpan for you. One man who isn't going anywhere is Steven Krausweig. I don't know what those words mean, but go ahead. Steven Krausweig and the entire Jumbo Fisma cycling team um, have all withdrawn from the Giro d'Italia. Um, that's because Krausweig, um, uh, b- being a Dutchman, tested positive for coronavirus on Monday. Was this the only thing he was tested positive for? Well, uh, officially, yes. <laughs> and uh, my, my lawyer has instructed me not to go any further into that question. Uh, Krausweig was the team leader and one of the favourites to win the race. He was he was riding 11th at the time. Um, and after and he tested positive on the first rest day after a week of the three-week race. Team director Mirain Zeman told Cycling News, uh, for Stefan, the most important thing is his health. He had terrible luck missing the Tour de France and now this. But what happened today is a global problem. In Holland, it's getting worse and worse. Yeah. If his priority is his health, then he probably shouldn't uh, uh, cycle off French mountains at uh, 80 kilometers an hour so much, I think. Yeah, Paul makes a solid point. Yeah, yeah, th- that is valid. Yeah, The Australian team, Mitch and Scott, pulled out earlier after four staff members and rider Simon Yates tested positive for COVID last week. So, uh, yeah, not going so well in the uh, Tour of Italy. So it won't be a mass sprint at the end of these, uh, at the, at the end of these races anymore because there's no one left. Police discovered an illegal casino in the basement of a house in, of course, Brabant, uh, of course. In the village of Rijen. Officers found four gambling machines, three poker tables, thousands of gambling chips and dozens of very comfortable looking uh, chairs, I have to admit. Yes. Um, there was a photo of the police uh, loading them into one of their trucks and uh, yeah, it looked really nice. Uh, They also discovered electricity was tapped illegally. Uh, That's probably what uh, brought them to the the house, I think. Um, It's always the illegal wire electricity. Yeah, 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 indeed. Uh, Police interrogated the owner of the house, but for unclear reasons, he wasn't arrested. I mean, he has an illegal casino in his basement. What reason? Maybe he didn't know <laughs> that it was there. Okay. Oh, maybe he maybe know. he rented the place. That's uh, that could be possible. Yeah. But they didn't specify that in the article, so I find it. Uh... That's a classic Brabant move, right? You're just renting your shed. You have no idea who's renting Indeed. it. Indeed, and then all of a sudden there is a uh, there are sea containers yeah. with torture rooms in it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, illegal poker tournaments are held in Brabant on almost a daily basis, the police said. This uh, attracts 30 to 150 people at a time, and they are getting a real problem in the southern province. Uh, in August, police uncovered uh, three illegal casinos, for example, sometimes while people were uh, playing and carrying firearms. Um, so uh, it, it, it can this be. This is why you guys keep. This is why men keep getting murdered. Yeah. This is your <laughs> the illegal right casino here. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. A reason for the sharp increase in illegal tournaments might be the Corona crisis because licensed casinos were closed for a long time or allowed only a small number of people inside. So that's uh, one of their reasons. Uh, and this wasn't the only house in Brabant that got emptied. Uh, the entire collection of a privately owned Second World War Museum in Ossendrecht was stolen. Jan de Jonge, the owner of the museum, estimates that uh, estimates the value of the stolen SS uniforms, helmets, emblems, hats and guns at hundreds of thousands of euros, possibly even a million. Uh, de Jonge spent 60 years building the collection of the museum, uh, which uh, stands next to his house. Uh, the centerpiece of the museum, a Fallschirmjäger Gewehr worth 50,000 euros, was also stolen. And in August. What is a Fallschirmjäger it's, uh, it's a It's a German uh, army um, gun. Gewehr okay. means gun, Jäger means hunter. Fall, yes, I don't know. I knew yeah, that. So, um, 
something like that. There was a Dutch translation, but in one other article, I found the full German name. I thought that was appropriate to say. That's better. It's better, yeah. Uh, in August, uh, the one and a half million collection of another privately owned war museum in Beek in Limburg was also stolen. And it's a shame that my webcam isn't working. Otherwise, you could see my brand new SS uniform. This is <laughs> what is going on with stolen war museum there is stuff. a real market there must be a black market the, for this yeah, right yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, the owner expects that uh, they will be sold immediately um on the black market but yeah it's a really yeah. it's a real shame that his life work uh, just got stolen overnight he said i uh, they broke in quite professionally they uh, cut the windows for example uh, and he was just sleeping five meters away from it and he didn't hear a thing so crazy indeed. that's so weird people are so weird man that's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl, and you'll earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Molly Quell and Paul Peters. I'm Gordon Darroch, and we'll be back next week. Music.